you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to be reading 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So folks, listen. This is God's word. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. This is God's word. This passage today, it's about kingship. And for us, it's about who is going to be the authority in our lives. As we study this passage today, these five verses, we're going to relate to David as ruler over people and also as an example for us to follow. And so we're going to see these dynamics in three points this morning, if you want to take notes. Um, We're going to see first, vindication, second, character, and third, getting what you want. So vindication, character, and getting what you want. Let's look first at vindication. That's the word that screamed out at me as I was reading this passage and as I studied it this week. This is David's vindication. Right? This is the day David has been longing for, and it has finally come. Verse 3 says, All the elders of Israel have come to make David king. They anointed him king over Israel. The elders were representing all the tribes. Verse 1 says, All the tribes of Israel came. They came as represent- uh, the elders came as their representatives. And they came to say, David, you're the man. You are our man, and we want you. David, we want you to be our king. For David, this was public vindication. Okay, this was David being publicly vindicated, affirmed, and established as king over the entire nation of Israel. It would be today as if Democrats would hold a press conference and Nancy Pelosi got up and said, George Bush, you know what? You were right about the war in Iraq. We wish you would come back and rule over us. Or, or, you know, on the other side, it would be like Republicans going to the press and saying, President Obama, we were wrong about the health care bill. Right? That's what was going on here. The members, the, the elders, all the tribes of Israel were coming to David. I mean, you can picture them, right? If you kind of slow down and you picture the scene, they're coming to David. Maybe David's wondering, uh-oh, like, what's going to happen now? Hey, David the elders of all the other 11 tribes of Israel are coming. David's thinking, oh no, oh no. Um, One of my guys just killed the commander in their army. And then the head of their king was just given to me. You know, and I've tried to show that I didn't have anything to do with it. I've tried to dismiss, but now they're coming. Uh Uh-oh, right? I mean, this is what David is probably thinking. And then they walk in and they say, David, 
We want you to be our king. And you can just imagine David's face. You know, he kind of just, the huge sigh just says, oh my goodness. Like, I can't believe it. It's finally happening. I don't know if you remember that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, quite a while ago. Um, the whole movie is this gut-wrenching, emotional, depressing, walking through this guy's life who is in poverty, trying to make his way. He's got a son. I mean, it's awful what he has to go through. And at the very end, after, I remember watching this movie thinking, man, when is this going to end? I was so frustrated. Like, come on, give me some relief here, right? And it's not until the very end, it's like the last scene of the movie where he is sitting in the executive's office of the stock company that he's been desperately trying to get into. And they finally look at him and they say, I can't remember what his name is, so I'll just call him Will Smith. They say, Mr. Smith, you're hired. And they start telling him about the job that he's going to have. And you just watch this wave of emotion coming over Will Smith and his character. He starts getting teary-eyed. He just can't believe that it's finally happening. That's what David is going through right here. I just want to ask, how about you? Is there something that you are longing for? Is there something going on in your life? Is there a relationship? Is there an incident at work? Is there something going on that you are just desperately yearning for some kind of vindication? I mean, you know how David felt before this. This is the point where David finally gets that thing that he's been wanting, that he's been longing for. And we got to realize as we read this passage, we can't read the whole, you know, the whole story, right? Vindication doesn't come easy. Okay, if you're longing for vindication, I got to tell you, it doesn't come easy for David. It's so easy to look at this passage and go, wow, this is incredible. I want to be like this. But if you really want to know what it took to get to this place, you've got to start way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's when David first got the promise. And it has been 12 to 15 years since David was promised that he would be king. And during those 12 to 15 years, boy, it didn't just take time, but there were struggles. There was hardship. There was suffering. There was homelessness, right? There was in, uh, uncertainty. I mean, and when we experience these things, it's easy for us, right, to get mad, right? We get impatient. We get frustrated. Where is God? We get mad at him. You know, it's interesting if you long for vindication, if you long for it finally to come true for you, Vindication requires proven character. I mean, think about that. It requires proven character because you got to persevere, right? To vindicate someone is to say you're right and you have been right, right? That's what it means to be vindicated. And if you complain every time something goes wrong in your life, right? If you are frustrated and everybody, and everybody gets to hear about how hard it's been for you, and how difficult it's been, right? You're not going to expect vindication. You shouldn't expect vindication. What you get for that is judgment, right? Because you don't deserve. If you're complaining every step of the way, if you're fighting against God, if you're angry, if you are you know, manipulating and trying to, to make it happen on your own, there's no vindication there. 
if you end up getting what you want, the people around you usually get kind of frustrated with you, right? I mean, with David, with his struggles, I mean, year after year, if it's not one obstacle, it's another. It was the people in his life. It was the situations in his life. It was problems. And yet, 12 to 15 years later, it finally comes true. 12 to 15 years later. I mean, I've experienced this. So have you. So many of you have experienced this, right? Where you have to wait months, years, sometimes decades. It's not easy. We've got to ask, like, well, what kept David going? You know, what was it that motivated him not to give up? What keeps us going? It's God. It's, it's God's promises. His promises are what keep us going. You've got to trust in God's promises. In this passage, what is happening is that God's promises are being fulfilled. It's not just the vindication of David, but it's that God's promises are coming true. Like I said, his promise, God's promise began in 1 Samuel 16, 12 to 15 years before this. And God's promise to David has weathered the venom of Saul, the former king. It's weathered David's own follies, because David wasn't perfect, right? 1 Samuel 25, 27, 29, there are places where David looks like he's about to give in. He's about to give up. God's promises survived the rebellion of the northern kingdom. It survived the self-seeking people that were pretending to be David's friends who committed murder on David's behalf. All these things threatened to keep God's promises from coming true in David's life. And what we see in this passage is that when God has made a promise, nothing can stop it from coming true. Paul says, I'm convinced neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If you are trusting in God, hang on to his promises. They will come true. David knew that. I mean, what are you waiting for? Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it's relief, physical relief. Maybe it's emotional relief, um, a relationship to be, uh, to, to turn around. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. God will come through. Because, and we have to realize that vindication like this, it's up to God. Okay? It's up to him and his timing. It's our responsibility while we wait to trust and to follow. We trust and we follow. And then when God knows when the best, God knows the best time. And when that time comes, he will vindicate us. He will vindicate us. And so to trust and to follow during that time, it requires character. It requires character. That's our second point. So um, we see vindication, but we also see character. Point number two is character. The people of Israel come and they want to follow David and they say why. And we can sum up the reason why they want to follow David, why they want David king over them, by character. And what they say shows us the kind of leader that people will follow. And it's not just that these are the qualities of great leaders, but these are the qualities of great friends, of great neighbors, of great co-workers. 
know, if you want to be a person who makes a positive difference in the lives of others, this text tells us what it was about David that drew people to him. They say in verse 1, the people of Israel came and they said to David, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. We are your bone and flesh. What are they saying? They're saying, you know what? We are family. We're family. You, David, are one of us. Okay, that's what they're saying. And, and what the application of that, what that means, the significance of it is, they're saying, David, you treat us like we are your family. You treat us like we are your family. They have seen that David cares for the entire nation. He doesn't just care about his one tribe, that one group, his own people. He cares about everybody. He cares about everyone. So he is one of us. People will follow you. People follow leaders who care about them, right? Who treat them as though they're family, who make decisions that make them feel like you care and understand where they are. Family. David, he's one of us. Second, David has proven that he can do it, right? He has been acting as king all along. Verse 2, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought, who led out and brought in Israel. That phrase, led out and brought in, that's a technical term for military leadership for the army. And what they're saying is, David, look, you've been acting like the king all along. You have been doing this. We've seen it, and we want more of it. We've seen it. You can do it. Um, you know, and this is good for us because people typically will trust folks that have a proven track record, right? I think sometimes we want to be a great influence, and we want to do it right now. You know, we want people to follow us, and yet we've got to ask ourselves, well, what is in our life that's worth following, Right? David's got a proven track record. And then the third thing, so he's one of us, he's proven he can do it. The third thing that attracts him to David is that God is with him. God is with him. The end of verse 2. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. David has the promise of God and they can see God in David's life. They can see God in his life. It's not just David that they see. It's not just his proven character. They realize that there's something more to it. They see God at work through David. And the people, they want that God in their life. And they want their king to be tapped into that God. Right? Maybe they understood that Israel went through this downward spiral when Saul cut himself off from God. And they're saying, David, we know that your heart is for the Lord, and we want that. And so they see David and his relationship with God. It's interesting that they remind David of the promise that he'll be shepherd of the people of Israel. Shepherd was actually a metaphor in the ancient world for king. Okay, the king was described as the shepherd of his people because it indicated the, the responsibility of the king, right? what the king was supposed to do. He wasn't supposed to be a tyrant reigning for his own purposes, but the, the king was supposed to be a shepherd guarding the flock, feeding the flock, nurturing the flock, 
ruling in a way that would lead the flock into green pastures, to the still waters, right? You're hearing Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd means the Lord is my king. And this is what a king is supposed to do. This is what all rulers are supposed to do. This is how they're supposed to act. This is how each one of you is supposed to act in your friendships, in your relationships with other people. You know, the idea of being a shepherd, guarding, feeding, nurturing, protecting the flock, all that is, is a description of love. That's what it is. It's a description. It's, it's, it's a description of love, and that's what ought to characterize all of our relationships. These folks are seeing in David, wow, finally, here is someone who's actually going to care for us. Who's actually going to care for us. And David has demonstrated, right, the character that goes along with this. He's refused to take personal vengeance. He's refused to honor people who do what is evil, right, even when they're doing stuff that makes life easier for him. David has demonstrated that he will actually care for folks. And it's interesting, one author pointed this out, and I think it's, it's, it's big for our understanding of the David story. We can, he says this, he says, we can see now how the entire narrative of David's rise to the throne is staged from shepherd boy in 1 Samuel 16 to shepherd king here. The whole David story begins with the initial announcement that David is keeping the sheep. Right? The first time we ever see David, he is keeping the sheep. And then here we see that in verse 2, it returns the metaphor of shepherd and sheep at the end of this long story of the ascension of David. And we see that it's God's overriding intention that in the narrative, the shepherd boy would become the shepherd king of Israel. I mean, that is an amazing sort of meta theme that runs through David's life. And so, just as a way of reminder, the shepherd exists for the sake of the sheep and their well-being. A bad shepherd serves himself. A bad shepherd feeds on the sheep, right? Destroys the sheep. A good shepherd, a good shepherd cares for, leads, guides, protects the sheep. And this is an incredible picture of God's definition of what leadership is. This is God's definition of leadership. Any sort of power that you have over anybody, from being a friend and having just a bit of influence to being a leader in a company or a leader in an organization, a leader in the church, a leader politically, all power over someone else needs to be governed by this image. You need to be asking yourself, am I using the authority that God has given me in the relationships where I am Am I using it to shepherd other people? Because that's God's aim. That's God's aim. And David has continually showed us what this looks like. He's given us picture after picture after picture. David lived his life. He operated by grace. By grace. He understood that people make mistakes and was willing to forgive. He understood that people need to be encouraged, and so he encouraged. He was, I mean, he was unwilling to take vengeance. He was unwilling to serve himself. This is the character of a leader that people want to follow. This is the character of David. And this is why David is receiving God's blessings. 
he has been brought to this place because he's shown this shepherd's character. And God is, the Bible says, God is looking to and fro throughout the earth, looking for people whose hearts are for him, whose hearts long to serve him. And it says God strongly supports those people. God takes those people and he gives them authority because he wants them to be emulated. He wants their character to infiltrate leadership in the church, in the city. And so that's what God is doing. God honors those who persevere both in good times and in bad. The thing that hit me thinking about this is that David, he didn't have to force it. He had this promise and David didn't have to force it. He didn't grab a hold of everything and start manipulating and bring it about. He was able to serve the Lord, follow the Lord and let God do the rest. And that's what God did. I mean, you think about it, everybody else in the narrative is serving David, right? And this is what happens when you do what is called, what God calls you to do, which is to follow him and to trust his promises. Then you let God do everything else, you know? And so Joab was used to, um, to serve David on the battlefield. Abner comes and organizes the, uh, the, the political transfer of, uh, of Israel um, God, through um, the, the women in David's life, gave him a potential dynasty in the form of sons. You know, and then, then, then Ishbosheth is removed, right? It's, it's amazing. Like David's sitting there and God just keeps at, time after time after time saying, David, here, your kingdom is growing. David, here, I've got this taken care of. David, here. And God is giving him blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. David doesn't have to force it. He doesn't have to force it. And that calls me to ask you, how are you responding to the delays in your life? Those areas where God's blessings are delayed, where God's promises haven't yet come true for you, how are you responding? David is inviting us to just to let go of having to force it. I had a pretty amazing experience. One of my neighbors came over to our house and told me that, um, it's just an interesting story. He told me that he went to ask for a raise with his job and the conversation didn't go well and it actually turned into a fight. And he left feeling really upset, frustrated, didn't really know what to do. And so he's telling me this story and he says this. He said, so I thought to myself, what would Stephen do? (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, wow. And he said, uh, and he said, you know, I think Stephen would apologize and not need to be apologized to. And so I'm going to do that. And, I, and he said, I, and I want you to pray for me. This guy's not a Christian. And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, let's pray. And he said, no, 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 like pray on your own. I'm like, no, 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 I can just pray right now for you. You know, no big deal. And he said, no, no, I, I do my praying on my own when I'm walking my dog. Just pray for me. <laughs> Absolutely, no problem. So <clears throat> I prayed for him. We prayed for him as a family. Um, saw him a couple days later. How'd it go? How'd it go? And he said, well, I apologized, and I didn't get an apology back. But that was okay, because I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and then I got from that conversation more than I asked for with regard to the raise. 
and I just, I was, I said, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Um, and uh, it doesn't always work out that wonderfully, right? But there's times when it does. There's times when it does, when we let go and we take responsibility for what we can and leave God to do the rest. God shows up and comes through. Um, a few days later, I asked him if he'd be interested in maybe studying through the gospel of Mark with me. And he said, yes. So um, I'm excited to be able to do that. Yeah, we'll see what the Lord does. But I mean, that's, that's what we're aiming for. That's what we're aiming for. So um, this is the character that David had. So we've seen vindication. We've seen character. Our last point is getting what you want, getting what you want. And in this, I want to look specifically at the people of Israel. Okay, the people of Israel in our text, because they got the king they wanted, right? They got the king they wanted, and they show us how to do that. Okay, verse 1 says, they came. Okay, step 1, they came. Step 2, verse 2, they confessed that they wanted David. And then third, they covenanted. That's verse 3. They came, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So they came, they confessed, and they covenanted. That means that when it says they covenanted, they made promises of allegiance to him. And so they covenanted with David. They promised to be David's subjects, and David also covenanted with them. David promised to be their king. And for us in this story, in some ways, we want to be like David, right? Because we want to have David's results. We want to be vindicated like David. We want the Lord to be working our life just like David, right? Um, but at the same time, we're also very much like these people, Israel. Okay, I think, you know, if we're honest, there are times when we want things and we want people to rule over us that aren't necessarily good for us, right? We allow things in our lives to rule over us that don't lead us into the right places, Um, And so for us, as I think about this, David reminds me not just of what I need to be, but it reminds me of Jesus. You know, as I read this, this screams out to me that King David needs to tell us about King Jesus. And if David is Jesus, then we are the people of Israel. Let me just say, if you're a Christian or not here today, that Jesus is the king that you want. Okay, Jesus is the king that you want. Um, We think about this. What were the qualities that made them want David? Well, that he was family, right? That he was their flesh and their bones. Got to think here for a second. Jesus actually took on our flesh and bones. He was God in heaven and he took on our, he became one of us. And he has treated us like we are his family. He has come to serve us so that we could be part of his family. And then, uh, you know, David had a proven track record. He's proven that he can do it. Jesus, talk about a track record, right? He came to earth to fix the things that were broken. He did miracles of healing, proving that he came to save us from the things that bring us down. He defeated evil wherever he encountered it right? The evil things in relationships, the evil that exists outside of ourselves in our hearts. Jesus came and defeated it. He set people free from evil. He gave them new lives. He set them free to live lives of wholeness, of happiness. 
and he entered into the, the greatest battle when he went to the cross. He didn't just defeat evil in his life, but in his death, he actually took on evil in the worst battlefield. He went into death to do battle with evil and he emerged victorious. Jesus rose from the dead. He went into evil's home turf, right? He went into evil's place of origin, death itself. And he did battle with evil in its strongest way. And he rose from the dead to overcome it, demonstrating that he can bring us freedom from death. He rose from the dead, giving us a way through death into eternal life, into eternal life. Jesus, do you want him? Don't you want someone who has battled with the evil that you struggle with and been victorious? Christian or not, we all struggle, right? None of us are what we want to be. We all have this gap between who we are and what the kind of people that we want to be. And we need Jesus to reign over us. We need him to be our king because the glorious joy is that when we say to Jesus, I want you to be my king, Jesus then rules and reigns and he fills us up with himself. He gives us his love. He makes us part of his family. He, all the victories that he has, has experienced, he then grants to us. And then he fills us with his power so that we can grow. I mean, he does this for us. With Jesus, he is, he's worth following. To come to him, we've got to do the same thing the people in this passage did. We come to him. That means saying, Jesus, I'm coming to you. We confess that we want him. Jesus, you can pray this. Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want you to save me. And then we covenant with him. We pray, Jesus, I promise that I'm going to follow you with all my heart. And I'm going to do all that I can to serve you and to act as though you are my king. If you're not a Christian here today, that's how you become a Christian. And if you are a Christian, let me invite you to continue to come to Jesus with everything in your life. If there's anything that you're holding back, if there's any promise that you're longing for that hasn't come true yet, go to him with that. Jesus, I want you to be king over this unfulfilled promise. Instead of getting frustrated with you, I'm going to stay and wait and trust because you know what's best because you are my king. I mean, Jesus himself brings all of this together in John 10, 11, where he says, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He shows how much he loves you. His willingness to give up everything for you. That shows you his love. And that's the love that draws you to trust him. It draws you to say, Jesus, if you've done that for me, I will follow you with everything in my life. I think, I think it's better to live with Jesus and promises that aren't fulfilled yet than to live without him. Because when you become a Christian or when you live as a Christian, there are so many blessings and promises that already have come true for you. 
He has given you grace. He has accepted you into his family. He has forgiven you and declared you righteous in his sight. These are blessings that cannot be taken away that are true of you right now as you sit if you're trusting in him. And every blessing. I was, I was in a Starbucks uh, a couple weeks ago and I ordered uh, one of their sandwiches and they delivered in a bag, right? Those little half, those little bags. And there's a letter. Have you seen these? There's a letter now on the Starbucks bags, you know, and, um, and the letter says, you know, dear valued customer, um, we just want you to know that we've made some changes here at Starbucks and we're using better ingredients, healthier ingredients, no preservatives. So your food won't just taste better, but it is better. And it's kind of cool. And then it says, you know, there's a lot more that we want to do, but this is a start and we think it's a good start. Um, Sign your friends at Starbucks. And then it says this, it says, P.S., more to come. And I read that and I thought, oh, I wonder what else they're going to do. And then I thought, you know what? Jesus is like that. For every blessing that you have experienced from him, it comes with a tag. And that tag says, more to come. I will welcome you into my family and there's more to come. I will forgive your sins and there's more to come. I will fill you with an experience of grace that will change how you treat other people. And there's more to come. I will live inside your heart. I will put my spirit, my character will come into you and there's more to come. I will be the guarantee that all of God's promises will come true in your life now and forever. He will be saying to us forever and ever and ever, you haven't seen anything yet. That's the Savior that we have. That's the king that he is, the shepherd who cares for his sheep, who leaves the 99 to find that one. Maybe you feel like you're that one today. Jesus is coming to you with these words and he's saying, I, I'm, I'm willing to carry you back. I'm willing to pick you up and carry you back. I just need you to climb on board. When you do this, that is how the gospel changes you. When you begin to follow Jesus in this way and he fills your life with his promises and his blessings, that is how you grow. That is how you grow. That's how you know, we need Jesus as king to have the character, right, that David had. It's got to be God. It's Jesus in our lives. And, uh, and so the last thing on this that I, that I just want to say is that this then sets us on a pathway to become what we want to become, to have a loving, wonderful, gracious influence on people around us. Last week, our family was in Houston. There was a wedding that also got added to, um, we had a funeral because Lainey's grandmother passed away. And, um, and so we had a wedding and a funeral. And it's interesting, Lainey's grandmother, we called her Mimi, she was a woman who in the tail end of her life suffered from dementia. And it was interesting because over the years, you know, we could see it taking effect and she became more repetitious right? I mean, you know what that's like if you've had any experience with folks that are on the, on the tail end of life. And it was interesting because she would tell the same stories, you know, do a lot of the same things. And it was interesting because it's so easy for us to look at that and to get discouraged, right? To feel bad, to feel like there's something that's missing. And, and I was thinking about this. And what I thought was interesting was that though her life became more repetitious, it became simpler, 
right? Because there was less about her to experience because you were getting a lot of the same experiences with her when you were with her um, at the end. And I realized that what was happening was the things that were being repeated was who she was at her core. You know, as life got simpler, the experience of her was more and more, when you strip everything else away, this is who she really is. And so for Mimi, it was, it was love. It was happiness to see you. It was hospitality. It was stories from her life. The rest of the things weren't part of her core, and so they faded away. And what was left was a pretty wonderful core. And thinking about it that way was, was transformative for me because I started thinking, well, what do I want to become? Like, what is at my core? And if I were to suffer for something like this and my life got more and more simple, right, what would be left? What do you think about that? What do you want to be at your core 10 years, 30 years from now? Yeah, love, forgiveness, kindness, caring for other people. And those are, here's the secret. Who you will be at your core 10, 20, 30 years from now starts today. It starts with who you are today. And this is why. Like, this is the power. This is why we strive. Why we strive to know Jesus and to let him reign today. Because as we let him be our king today, (laughs) he works those things into us. And we can become now what we want to become in the end. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am coming now and bringing the hearts of people that are here. We come now and we just say that we, we want you to reign over us. We want you to be our king. And we promise, Lord, that we will follow you. We accept your sacrifice for us. We thank you for dying for our sins and then rising to show that you have overcome all the things that we struggle with, and we look to you to rule and reign. Please, Lord, help us by the power of your Spirit dwelling in us. Help us to become now the people that we want to be at our core and touch folks, Jesus, that are here who aren't yet Christians. Touch them and help them to commit to you. We love you and we thank you that to bow our knee to you, boy, is is the most wonderful. And when we think about it, it's the easiest thing because you can do so incredibly better ruling our lives than we can do on our own. And so we trust you and we're following. Amen.